0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome, Aftermarket Peoples. It's Carm Capriato. Remarkable Results Radio. You know, all of our episodes—almost, I think, about ninety percent of them—all get up to YouTube. We have videos to support all the audio. Search for Carm Capriato. Please subscribe to the channel. Love to have you. We're on all your podcast listening apps. Also, I got a great panel. Uh, we're going to discuss. An important update to Right to Repair, and there's been a lot of stuff in the press. I know you've probably been reading some articles, but we're going to actually take you behind the scenes here. Excited to have Lisa Fauché, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs and General Counsel for the Auto Care Association. Welcome, Lisa, your first time on the show.
1: Yes, excited to be here. Thanks.
0: Cool, cool. And Staple, who's always on with us, Paul McCarthy, President and CEO of Mima Suppliers Group. Hi, Paul. Hello. Glad to be back. You know, if your car breaks down, where do you take it? To your locally trusted independent repair shop. What if your shop cannot access the vehicle data and only the manufacturer has access? But who owns the data? You, the vehicle owner, or the manufacturer? Well, join the fight to help support Right to Repair by completing the form at autocareadvocacy.org NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive, heavy-duty paint and body industries. Lisa just told me off record, we just added another congressperson and we may have even more by the end of the week. That's how timely this podcast and update is going to be for you. Look, the judge just made a big decision, a federal judge, about what was going on in Massachusetts. Give us an update on that, Lisa.
1: Yes, the auto OEs had filed for preliminary injunction in Massachusetts to stop the law from going into effect as of June 1st. As all of your listeners and you well know, the attorney general had voluntarily agreed to forbear from enforcing that law while the judge took evidence and was going to make a decision. But the judge in March let the court know that they were essentially tired of waiting and they were no longer going to forbear from enforcing the law so in response the oe's filed for preliminary injunction 2 days before memorial day and the judge had a hearing on the tuesday after memorial day and denied that request for an injunction so as of now the law is in effect and can be enforced as a result of that the attorney general's office filed the notice That was required by the law, posted that publicly. So as of now, the OEs are obligated through their dealers to provide a notice to purchasers of cars after 2022 that they have the right to get their data directly from their vehicle, their maintenance and repair data, or to give the independent shop of their choosing access to that data.
0: It's monumental if this whole thing can stick?
1: And there's the big question. It is monumental. It's a big step forward. The judge did ask the attorney general if the office was going to enforce the law, and the attorney general's office said that it had no immediate plans to enforce the law, which then will require you know, what lawyers call private rights of action. So in other words, private lawsuits by consumers or owners of vehicles to go out and enforce the law. And that's a tricky thing to have happen. So we're going to see how that plays out. But what I think is very interesting is that the notice on its face is not accurate for most of the OEs because it says that the consumer can call their OE and find out how to get the maintenance and repair data delivered to an app or how to give their independent shop direct access to that data. And if you'll recall, back in the first of the year or the end of last year, the OEs had filed affidavits with the court stating specifically that they had done nothing to comply with the law. So, in essence, stating that they were non compliant at that time. And so it's hard to imagine how they will now comply with this notice if asked about it.
0: So they were dragging their feet.
1: In our view, yes. Their view, of course, is that the law is impossible to implement, impossible, and therefore they can't comply with it. And that's been their longstanding theory in front of the court. We in the aftermarket, of course, have a very different view of that and demonstrated to the judge in the trial that there were, in fact, multiple
2: ways to accomplish what the law requires. And so it is complicated, but building on what Lisa said. This just shows that momentum that we're getting with Right to Repair, obviously in Massachusetts and across the country. This isn't where we were a few years ago where people were saying, you know, what is this issue? What does it mean? I think there's, it shows this next step of just how important this is. And frankly, if the automakers lived up to this referendum that had been passed, we think it'd be really good news for the state of Massachusetts. It'd just be something we'd have to get in the other 49 states as well. Also throw out if they did live up to this referendum, it'd be really good news for resale value and vehicle safety. The resale value side, we know how important repairability is for that. And by the way, that would be good for everybody in the value chain, from consumers to automakers to us at repair shops, because we've seen the last few years, if our vehicles were something, people are willing to invest in those vehicles. And on the safety side, having that access, continuing to have that access to convenient, affordable repair options. We know that means safer, older vehicles, and that's good for all of us on the road. So let's hope that this has lived up to, this law.
0: Great points for the industry, great points for the consumer, Paul, and, and I think that's why we are also behind this. Before we go too much further, let me say, oh, hey, Carm, this is the first time I'm listening to Right to Repair. How do I get involved? <laughs> so what you have to do is go to repairact.com and sign the petition. I know, trust me, we've all on this podcast right now have done that and sign it. And it's brilliant. Tell them where you live and it sends a letter to your congressperson. I mean, wow. Does it get any easier, Lisa?
1: I hope not. And I think everyone listening should do it and do it multiple times. It's critical for your representatives to hear why this is important. And Paul and his team and I and everyone at the Auto Care Association talks about this issue as an existential issue for our industry right now. And I don't think that is an understatement. If we don't solve this issue today, we won't have an industry to be fighting four or five years from now. And I think we all understand that. And this is a moment in time when right to repair is really having the momentum that we need to build on and capitalize on to get this done once and for all. So we're really excited about any step forward.
2: Incredibly well said by Lisa about it being both existential and about how it is important it is for people to go out and do this. And it is so simple, repairact.com, it's easy to click and have it heard, but you need to let your congressperson know that this matters to you, that it matters for your job, It matters for these principles, which is what we're trying to defend here, which is nothing more and nothing less than just free market competition and consumer choice. And it does make a difference. You talked about at the beginning about all these co-sponsors. We're getting to our Federal Repair Act and we get those co-sponsors because of people clicking and signing and sending it to their congresspeople. When we walk into a congressional office and they say, I heard about that. I heard about that from my constituent. They're the ones signing on. And there's a lot of them.
0: So for everyone to understand, Massachusetts sits over here. I know you want to talk about what's going on in Maine, but nationally, the federal repair act. And we had talked, I think on the podcast in 2022 about how critical 2023 and four are going to be because of the house and how its political leanings are. And so the question is, is do we have a, a window up to 2024 to maybe get this done?
1: I think absolutely. And I think you've described it accurately, which is it is a window. Is not only is the global topic of right to repair having a moment. We also have a Congress that, as we all know, is highly divided. And the beauty of our issue, in addition to it being accurate and correct and important, is that it is bipartisan. It has something for both sides of the aisle. It's big business. It's small business. It's capitalism. It's helping the guy down the street. And so if you are a congressperson who needs to go home and say to your constituents, I got something done, we are the bill to make that happen. And while we're very proud of the number of co-sponsors we've added, What we are most proud of is that we have added them in a bipartisan manner. So we have just about an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, and we are continuing to add them in that fashion to demonstrate that this bill is important to everyone in America, not just to Democrats, not just to Republicans.
0: Lisa, take me behind the scenes. You go and you meet a Congress person, man, lady, and you just sit there and say, hey, I got to talk to you about right to repair. I got to talk to you about that John Deere thing. I mean, how interested are they to hear this?
1: You know, they're actually very interested because we go in for everyone with whom we meet, we have a stat sheet that shows how many jobs, how many salaries and how much revenue is in their district based on the automotive aftermarket. And I think people have no idea of the breadth Of our industry. And when you start talking about things like 2% of GMP of the United States of America, they start listening and they look at that sheet and they say, I've got this many jobs in my district based on this industry, and they pay attention. And then, as Paul said, what's really great is if we, as the associations, are delivering that message in conjunction with one of their constituents who says, This is my business, these are my employees,
2: this is what we do. That is a great message. It is powerful. As Lisa said, this issue is having a moment. People are recognizing this is important. So they do want to hear about it. And when you send something at RepairAct.com, you're speaking up not just on behalf of you and your business. You're also speaking on behalf, as Lisa noted, over the 4 million people who are employed in our industry. Speaking up for the 300 million vehicles that we keep running safely and affordably. And more than that, the 300 million Americans using those vehicles uh, that we serve. So it's it's an important thing to say, and it's an impactful thing to say.
0: Let's jump back just a moment. I mentioned Maine. What's going on in Maine?
1: So we have the Maine Right to Repair Committee has collected and had certified sufficient number of signatures. So that initiative, which is very similar to the Massachusetts law, will be on the ballot in 2023, November of 2023. And we expect, based on polling, based on the popularity of the issue, for it to overwhelmingly pass, just like it did in Massachusetts. So we're excited about that. We're excited to add another state. Just keep the momentum going. The OEs did introduce a bill that would have codified the 2013 MOU as an opposition bill to the main ballot initiative. But that bill, although it was introduced, was carried over to the next session. And so it will not be heard this year in Maine. And so we expect that as of December, we'll be able to come on your show and talk about how we had an overwhelming victory in Maine and have another ballot initiative passed.
0: And another battle. Yes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be negative.
1: (laughs) If we're going to be negative, then yes, I think we could expect another lawsuit.
0: We don't want to be negative, but we want to be faced with the reality of the challenges that have come across all of our desks.
2: What Lisa was just describing in Maine and the expected results of this referendum, it does remind us that what just was announced in Massachusetts, it is a win for democracy. Because remember, consumers voted on this in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. They voted overwhelmingly for this, and they've been stymied for several years. So it's nice to see democracy being respected and, and this win for democracy.
0: It's Carm here, talking to you about what the NAPA Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the NAPA brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact, studies show that nearly 95% of consumers recognize NAPA and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete a Pro Image upgrade and take advantage of that? Pro Image is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop. On the outside, it includes the Napa colors and distinctive Napa signage. While the public may know you as a reliable locally owned business, a Pro Image upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further. It's also a visual signal to customers and potential customers that you and Napa are partners. Most importantly, Pro Image really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed a pro-image project enjoy an average 23% sales increase during the first year. Pro-image upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A pro-image interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a Pro Image exterior or interior upgrade could look like by visiting the NAPA AutoCare Members site and clicking on the Pro Image link under the NAPA Pro Image tab, or contact your local NAPA Auto Parts store. Your servicing NAPA store can tell you more about Pro Image, plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the NAPA AutoCare family, the largest network of independent automotive repair shops in the country. So here I am in mass, it ends up that it's legal and is law, and I can practice a certain way. And so there's one out of all 50 states. We just need this federal thing to happen so that it kind of like all the telematics, oh, the dash driverless cars, I mean, you drive into one state and you have a different law because federal can't get behind a national a set of standards. And so that's why you're working so hard, Lisa, in Congress on this plan and by the way, how much does that John Deere, isn't that a memorandum of understanding that they came up with? Explain how that fits in if it gets us any inertia for this law to pass.
1: You know, fortunately, it hasn't. And I think it's because people have seen it for what it is, which was an attempt by John Deere to sort of thwart what it saw as the oncoming avalanche of legislation. We have tried the MOU route. I mean, Paul certainly has longstanding history with it. But since 2012, actually, we have been trying to live under an MOU world. And frankly, it doesn't work. And it's not surprising that it doesn't work. There is too much money at stake for the OEs to voluntarily give up access to this data. I mean, Carmen, if you look at their announced business models, DeLantis announced a brand new business unit that expects to have, I think it was 30 million euros of revenue by 2030, solely based on the monetization of the data coming off these cars. So they are no longer going to make money on the hardware of the cars. They are going to make money on the software and the data. And so this is just not an issue on which they can voluntarily capitulate. So the MOU model, much like it is for John Deere, is not something that's going to work long term, even short term. It doesn't work today. That's why we've got to have legislation.
0: What I heard, and help me understand this, is if Stellantis has this cool business model for 30, did you say billion or million?
1: Sorry, billion is what I meant
0: to say. 30 billion euros on Data slash apps. Everyone's so used. Yeah, I'll have an app for that. Is that an indication that they realize that this is going to happen? So why fight it? Let's just collect the money?
2: I think we're a little bit caught in the middle as the repair and maintenance industry. The reality is, as Lisa said, there's this desire to make money off of all this data. And I think there's this fear that if they give us what we've had for a century, appropriate repair and maintenance information and diagnostic information, that they'll let the horse out of the barn and they'll lose that money from all that other revenue stream. It's not about us because it can't be about us. If your vehicles can't be repaired and maintained safely over the lifespan, you have no resale value of your car. You have no brand value. It will just be a disaster for consumers. And they know that there's not enough capacity out there. If the only place you can get your vehicle repaired is the dealer, it's fine if you choose to go to the dealer. It's fine if you choose to go to an independent shop, but the dealers can't handle the almost 300 million vehicles that we have. They have 25% of the capacity. The result is we would have lines waiting to get your vehicle just diagnosed, let alone repaired. And we run on our vehicles. It's how we get to work, to school, to church, to soccer practice. And we can't do that unless we have the capacity of the independent aftermarket.
0: Our vehicle is our life. Absolutely.
2: And that means what we provide as an industry, it's a true service to our country and to our economy. That we need to keep
0: flowing. Lisa, when you sit down as part of your fact sheet, do they know that 75 percent of the out of warranty work goes to the independent? A congressperson probably leases a car through the government. I don't know how that works, but they probably don't have a clue, like you said, how critical it is for our to sustain our life because we need that mobility. Let me see. soccer practice, right? A ballet swimming. Can I go down the list of everything? We quit working. We never stop. We're in perpetual motion and it's the vehicle that gets us there.
1: You know what's really funny? And I think we all have had this experience is we go into the meeting, we have our district data. So all of the jobs in your district, we have our two main stats, which are the one you just cited. 75% of out of warranty work is done at an independent repair shop and it's 36% cheaper. And then nine times out of 10, That is as far as we get because the person with whom we're meeting launches into a story about how they couldn't get their car fixed at their dealership. And they wanted to be able to take it down the street and this happened or that happened and how much they like the guy that fixes their car, the woman that fixes their car. So the issue sells itself when you're getting to that point in the conversation. And it happens over and over and over again. So that we feel really good about the meetings when they go that way.
0: You know, Paul, based on what Lisa just said, we're probably going to have 400 signed on here in a few months, right?
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure we'll have 400, but... This is a bill that should be passed. And the other thing that's great, I wouldn't recommend people reading a bill. It's, it's horribly boring. But if you did read this Repair Act, it's something everybody could support. It is a reasonable bill. It's something the whole industry, frankly, should support. It really just does seek what we need for vehicle repairability, to ensure safety and cybersecurity. And it has these mechanisms so we can solve this going into the future. We don't have to have these fights going forward. It's just a really good bill that I think all of us can feel good about supporting. And again, good about going to RepairAct.com and saying, hey, congressperson, take a look at this. This is a good idea. But Lisa said the story so well of what we hear. They just need to know about this. They need to know it matters to you. And then this issue, if you have a car, it's a no-brainer.
0: So Lisa, it's H.R. 906, the Federal Repair Act. And that's the petition we're signing for when we go on to RepairAct.com. Am I right?
1: Yes, you're right. And Paul has said it, you've said it. It is so critical at this moment in time to show unified and passionate support because Congress is so good at doing nothing and we need them to take affirmative action to get this done. Because as you highlighted, and you guys have been at this a long time, this congressional session seems to be our moment. And I am very concerned if we don't get this bill a long way down the road this session, it's going to be really tough to sustain the interest in the issue. So please, please, please take a minute and go to repairact.com.
0: I think the episode's over. I mean, she just got up there and she got behind her pulpit.
1: Sorry, I'm preaching. And
0: you preached it, baby. Yes, you did. (laughs) Yeah, I'm writing down all these critical words and how do we sum this episode up? Action, time-bound, our moment. She just pleaded to the industry, if you've not signed this petition at RepairAct.com, please. We've got so much momentum on our side. Federal judge says, Master, you got to make this thing happen. Maine is coming in on it. And it's plain old good, common sense, business sense. And I just hope the next time we get together, we've got to pass law.
1: Yeah, short term, our goal is that we are asking the Energy and Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction over our bill today, to have a hearing. We welcome a hearing. We welcome the opportunity to give this message publicly. And so we are hopeful that by end of summer, early fall, we will have that public hearing. That would be a huge step in the right direction towards passage and getting moved over to this end of it. So that's really where our focus is right now. And Paul knows we've got a great industry coalition working on this. AutoCare, MEMA, SEMA, the motorcycle folks, the heavy duty folks. And that is one other point, Carl, I'm sorry, I wanted to make too, was that not only is this a consumer issue, it is a critical issue for our heavy duty friends. There are 9 million trucks on the road. And if we learn nothing during COVID, we learned that if we can't keep those trucks running, the entire US economy shuts down. And so fleets need to be able to self repair and have independent repairs. And it's arguably even more critical than consumer repair, but certainly at least is important. So we always want to keep them as
2: part of the conversation too. Yeah, we would definitely echo that about the commercial vehicle side. It is incredibly important and points to just the necessity of this if you're going to run a business. I also just want to echo what Lisa said about the great coalition we have behind the Repair Act. I mean, it's it's wonderful to work with folks, our, our friends at AutoCare and across the coalition. And if we were preaching before, that just means that we need to hear a choir of the aftermarket responding to that preaching. And then we will get this passed. We'll be able to get back to business and get back to business for a long time to come, which is the goal here. Let's just get back to repairing people's cars.
0: Thank you, Paul. From many past episodes that we've done, Paul, together, you and Bill Hanvey and I, we've done them wherever we can sit down and get these done. I feel so much energy right now about the hopes and the possibility of where we stand. So there's For our audience, you are now up to date. You have read all these short articles. Now, we've given you a long-form, behind-the-scenes plea and information. So get out there and do that, RepairAct.com. This was great. Thanks for the update. Short, sweet, simple, and very, very powerful. Lisa Fauché, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs and General Counsel at the Auto Care Association. And Paul McCarthy, President and CEO of MIMA, Suppliers. We've got to have the suppliers on board, man. God have the suppliers on board. So thank you so much, Paul and Lisa.
2: Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Always great to see you.
0: Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the Premier Automotive Aftermarket Podcast. Until next time.